20 Schemes is the church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland and Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. With these conversations, we're trying to expose some of the issues we experience in our ministries. We hope that with honest and frank conversations, we can begin to open up on some of the hard realities of church planting and revitalisation in schemes and council estates around the UK. In fact, even around the world. In this spirit, these conversations will be published completely uncut. I'm Mes McConnell, and this is the 20 Schemes podcast. I am here with Andy Constable, who is the, you're the co-pastor now, aren't you? I am the co-pastor, yeah. Of uh, Nidri Community Church. How long have you been with me? I've been in Nidri 10 years. 10 years? Ten I've been years. here 11 years, so... Well, I came in 2008 to worship on a Sunday. And How did you find that? Did you like it? It was uh, an interesting service. You, so that interesting, we're going to get on to communication. So <laughs> by interesting, you mean crap, right? It was uh, a little bit boring, <laughs> especially your sermon. <laughs> I know I'm going to eat that later. But... Interesting. So interesting is definitely mm-hmm. middle class code, but I don't like this. It was, uh, yeah. I did, I... Is that still middle class code? It was a little bit of middle class code, yeah. Okay, <laughs> tell me something, because a lot of people want to know. We've got one viewer and he wants to know this. What is Downtown Abbey all about? <laughs> Uh, what's that about? What's, what's the plot line? What is it? Because like, all I know is Americans love it, but they don't. They have no clue Americans about anything <laughs> cultural. And like, posh boys like it. And just to be clear for the camera, because I know some people find the terms middle class and working class offensive, and you particularly find middle class offensive. So you, you're upper middle, right? I'm a little bit more posh than middle class, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I wouldn't want to denigrate your, yeah, I know, your yeah. classness. So tell us, what is Downtown Abbey about? just about a rich family who's got some servants. So basically, your childhood. <laughs> that what it's based on? Basically, yeah. Did you have a butler as a kid? No, I didn't, no. You have a cleaning maid? No. So, you, so what makes you up at middle? Uh, later on in life. <laughs> my mum, my mum looked after us. <laughs> so, she so, us out. so that's what we've got to in our society, having a mum now makes you up at middle. Is that, is that where we're at? Yeah. All right. So you've been with me uh, 10 years um, on and off. So I remember you came as a little student. Yeah, and 2008. You, you yeah. were going to, um, you came to the church, you hated the church service. I'll interpret the word interesting <laughs> for everyone. And I remember I went to meet you in, at New, you were at New College, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. And I came to see mm-hmm. you and talk about yeah. it. And you were keen at that point, weren't you, to... Pursue ministry with a yeah. poor in some capacity? Yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, my final year of university, just wondering what to do. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the places I tra- traveled to quite a lot was South Africa, been on three or four short term mission trips. And I wanted to, to go out there and serve longer term. Uh, but the problem was I had no plan, <laughs> I had no money. Um, just thought. You had faith, baby. I had faith, yeah. I just read. Things like people like, about people like Hudson Taylor, um, C.T. Studd, other missionaries like that, who just given up everything, gone across um, and and served in a capacity, and that's what I wanted to do: go to South Africa, serve uh, for as long as God would call, would call me to that place for. Um, and it was about that time that I met yourself um, and Jez, who was the other minister at the time, and we began to talk about how Nidri could maybe support me going out. To, I, remember, to I remember now, you came to me with a, uh, a, a plan, Yeah. we'll say a plan like that, <laughs> uh, you and Pete, Yeah. I think we were in the prayer room next door, weren't we, and you were, um, and the guy from the chapel as well, yeah, the guy from the chapel, yeah. and you were going to live, weren't you, on about four pence a week, was that, yeah. you came budget, with the most outrageously low budget <laughs> I've ever seen, I think our like. budget was £12,000 between the two of us, so £6,000 yeah. each, for a for year. year, so there was no contingency budget, yeah, not that I can remember now. Transport, uh, flight home, food, just general living. <laughs> I think I had enough for food, begging on the streets. And so um, <laughs> I think I laughed, did I laugh at you, did you? No, I actually was kind to you, right? I'm kind, yeah, yeah. I felt sorry for you. You, you helped us uh, put together a better budget. And then we had a big fundraiser. Yeah, I had a fundraiser. And that cost me 800 quid, that fundraiser. And just so you know, 
whoever it was, you or Pete, never clean me windows. And that was <laughs> it. We did a slave auction, didn't we? That was 80 quid. <laughs> and I never had my windows done. We did a slave auction. Unbelievable. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and so you got enough money to go out for a year or? Yeah, I think I got enough money for 18 months, two years. Um, so we travelled out there, January 2009. So I graduated in the summer, had six months. And in that six months, I was waiting to go out with fundraising. But I also did like a short-term internship with Nidri. That's right, you came with us. Um, and just came and was just part of the church really, and just helped out in any capacity uh, I could. So, yeah, I remember you, you went out and uh, you went to Mannenberg, right? Yeah. Just explain to people about Mannenberg. Yeah, so Mannenberg is... Um, Township on the edge of um, the city of Cape Town, on a place called the Cape Flats, and it was a, a coloured township. So during the apartheid, did black, white, and coloured. Um, so I went to a coloured township, and it was to work with street gangs and drug addicts on the streets, ministering to them, praying with them, sharing the gospel, discipling. So you like your, were you like the only little tighty whitey in the neighbourhood? Yeah, me and Pete were the, the only white people around. Yeah, walking the streets. So how did that? Over with the locals, uh, it was fine because we went in with an organization that knew the community, um, so we didn't have any problem. I never had a problem with violence when I was there. Um, I know Pete's had some problems since, uh, but when I was there, we were fine on the streets because we went out with local guys from the community who lived there and who were also ministering in that community. Um, you know, people were responsive to the gospel, wanted to hear about Jesus. Um, it's a very welcoming culture on one level. Um, just to be walking down the streets, people sit on the streets, everyone's sun it's sunny, it's not like Scotland where it's freezing. So you're walking around, people chatting to you, talking to them, you know who, who the guys in the gangs are, you know who the guys in the, who are the drug addicts. So we just talk to them, chat to them, share the gospel. Um, so you work for a parachurch, we won't name them, you work for yeah. a parachurch organisation. Yeah. Um, and I remember I came out to visit you. Yeah. There were some fruitcakes who worked for that organisation, weren't there? Mm -hmm. I remember I met them. Mm -hmm. Um, loved Jesus, loved the poor, didn't mm -hmm. quite like the church, mm -hmm. which was a bit of an odd one. Mm -hmm. Also, I discovered that uh, you're an animal, aren't you, when it comes to cleanliness? <laughs> uh, yeah, we didn't really wash our house or clean it at all. No, <laughs> I had to clean your bog, didn't you did, I? Yeah, so there was mould growing in several places. And Unbelievable. The sheets hasn't been changed for six months, but I'm a reformed man now, promise mum. <laughs> <laughs> If Andy's mum's watching, it was rank, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely rank. It must have took me. I don't know how many hours it took me. I cleaned it when Debbie, who was my oh, girlfriend yeah, at the time, you did. I bet you did. We didn't clean it when I was coming. <laughs> we shoved it in a nice little room. Flipping toilet start. was alive with dirt. Absolutely horrific. I've lived on the streets, but that was dirtier than a street, that toilet. Anyway, so I came and served you by cleaning your bog for you. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, and just add a bit of the work. I wouldn't say you were disillusioned, that probably is too strong a word, but mm -hmm. you were beginning to think about like about your call and mercy ministry and the poor and the place of the church. Yeah. What, what was changing your thinking? Yeah, I mean, sharing the gospel people, people were responding as they do everywhere. Some people come to Christ, we were discipling them as well. Uh, probably taking for, we were being taken for a joyride as well at the same time, you know. The guy, I mean, one guy particularly discipling was uh, saying that he was clean during the day and looked clean at different points. But, you know, at different points, you found out at night he was obviously taking drugs and was up to all sorts um, just so he could reap the benefits of being a friend with probably a white person and being able to hang out with someone who had a bit of money. Um, so you had that. I think the main thing for us, uh, for me, was, OK, someone's saved now. You're discipling them. Why do they go to church? How do you uh, continue to disciple someone towards maturity so they're not just dependent on you? Well, I remember now, I went to that church of you. Yeah, so we were going to a, a white middle-class church and I was taking the guys along to this white middle-class church, nowhere near the township. But uh, it wasn't a white middle-class church. This really thing had posh, a flipping yeah. Starbucks in it, right? Yeah, Upstairs it was really posh, and... yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was taking the guys along and they were <laughs> chur they were churring, they were stealing the cakes from... Mate, I was stealing the cakes because you couldn't afford them. It also, a few phones went missing and quite yeah. a lot of money and that kind of stuff. I was taking these guys yeah. who were from the streets into... It's interesting a... that all the servers were black guys in that church. Yeah, well. yeah. So I was take, taking them to a, a middle-class church, taking them away from their, their own environment. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was just trying to work out, you know, where does the local church fit in with ministry to the poor? And um, that's when I wasn't becoming disillusioned. It was just questions that were nagging away at me. And also I just had no experience. I've come into a place, it's not my culture. I don't know the language. I'm from a richer area of London, coming to a very poor place. Uh, I've never discipled anyone from that kind of area before. I mean, there were questions I asked you before you went out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew you were going to go for a, not a train crash, but I knew you would become frustrated, mm -hmm. obviously, because I've been to Brazil mm -hmm. and, and done it um, with, with this side of it. And so, remember we came out, I don't know if we talked about you coming back to Nidri when I came out to visit you or yeah, not. You did, yeah, 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 we did, yeah. And yeah, we just talked about it. I was pretty much engaged to Debbie, who's now my wife. Yeah. So we were thinking about when I come home um, and I just decided to, to come home that January in 2010 um, to come and help and so you kept, you, Did you become an intern then? Yeah, uh, pastoral assistant I think was the, right. or pastor in training or something like that. Yeah, and so how did you find um, coming back and working at Nidri? Because mm -hmm. at that point, Nidri wasn't the Nidri you saw when you first came as a student, someone yeah. cranking out a tune on a yeah. dodgy electric keyboard with mm -hmm. Mission Praise hymn books and mm -hmm. no yeah. locals, right? Yeah. I mean, the, that would have been 2010. Ten. I came back, yeah. Um, so that's a couple of years after things had started. The ministry has begun to, to roll on a little bit. Um, so about that time, there's maybe a few more locals that seem to be engaging with. Uh, I remember when you come into the church, just a puff of smoke as you come in because guys were just sitting on the, the doorsteps having a fag and the smoke. Um, and so the service had begun to change yeah, a little bit. So you were, um, let me put it kindly, because mm -hmm. we've been pals a long time. <laughs> you were wonderfully, amazingly, beautifully naive. Yeah. I wish you could go back to those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You just and I gave you your things. first person. We, we, we don't name names. Person mm -hmm. to disciple. Remember that person? Yeah. It was you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, absolute. <laughs> he was a train wreck, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you, I was living with you and Miriam and the girls. Yeah. How many so times did you clean your room when you live with me, by the way? <laughs> Uh, I think I, I moved from no, 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 zero no. times I, I, in yeah. South Africa to once. And uh, six months you lived with me. <laughs> now, you weren't dirty because there's a difference between being dirty and messy. So yeah. I'll give you that, Andy's mom. I'm not the smelliest house guest. No, he's not. Sm oh, no, no. Not by far. <laughs> no, you'll never beat the one who left actual turds on my toilet seat. Yeah. But we won't go there. But anyway, you um, were a mess. I never mm. saw. I, I forgot that your bedroom had wooden flooring until you moved yeah. out. Right, and the girls used to absolutely rip it. I blame out. this. I blame there was no storage. Okay, no storage. <laughs> but all right, we'll go with that one then. And then, um, what is it you cooked? You ruined a family meal. Ruined it for us. We never had it since. Made toad in hole with uh, oh. sweet and onions in it. Oh, I mean toad in the hole, right? Is basically sausages in Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, yeah. It's not to be messed with. There's some, nice, some sweet and onions. It's for been it. like that for a long time. And you'd, you'd make other crap like. I made peanut butter curry, yeah. Peanut butter <laughs> curry. And that's orange stuff that middle class people like. What's that called? The curry as well. Lentils. Butternut squash. Butternut squash. I don't oh. think I made that for you guys. Yeah, you did. Did I? All right. Anyway, so we've got distracted by this, but I want to come back to this because it's yeah. funny. So you used to leave your, roof, your door open, your windows open, your lights on. Yeah. Mess. Yeah. You weren't the. Most mindful, I guess. No, you weren't. <laughs> you were a young fella. <laughs> and, um, but then when you got your house, I remember you had a guest in your house and you <laughs> came to me once and you were like raging. <laughs> you keep leaving the lights on, the toilet seat up, the doors open, and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> and you were like, <laughs> slightly, yeah, uh, chasing. But anyway, what, what, what were we talking about, John? We were talking about um, first guys as a discipling. Yeah, so anyway, you were discipling this guy, just for, to be clear, had made a profession of faith, Serious, serious heroin problem. Yeah. You arrive like mm -hmm. a little puppy. You're gonna, you know, mm -hmm. you've met you've met someone. You're gonna save them. How, how did that go for you? Yeah. I think, um, yeah, quite a few mistakes were made along the way. Uh, probably the first thing that I learned is that people are not always telling you the truth. So uh, when you're asking them 
what's going on in their lives. You usually expect someone just to tell you what's going on, uh, not to give you little side truths or white lies, as people call them. Uh, Did you believe him now, honestly? Yeah. Because I used to look at you and think, Is he, he's not that gullible, surely. Just now you're like Robocop, but then <laughs> you were like... I just didn't... I just, I didn't think I didn't realize I had to second guess myself because you know that's not my culture. I'm not used to being in a culture where you have to second guess yourself. I'm used to in a culture where um, none of my friends growing up were drug addicts. None of my friends. But what you've been up, in Manenberg, it's not like you hadn't been anywhere. So what was the difference between? Yeah, I mean that would be so. That's when I began to be thinking twice about things. Okay. So Manenberg would have been, you know, the first time the guy told me that he'd been taking drugs on the side, like I was. I was a little bit surprised, a little bit taken aback because he made that profession of faith and yeah. he was saying that he was a Christian and walking with the Lord. Um, you know, obviously, I should, maybe I, should, I should, definitely shouldn't have been surprised, but looking back... I, yeah, I remember one of the things happened to you was your windows got put through. Remember that? A car. That was going back yeah. a few years, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, you, again, you were a, a, <laughs> an English guy in a very nationalistic... Mm-hmm. Scottish housing scheme, mm-hmm. trying to find your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously made um, a few errors. Mm-hmm. What what kept you persevering with it? Because you're obviously an outsider from in the mm-hmm. beginning, not yeah. anymore. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think lots of things. One felt the calling to be here and yeah. to persevere through it. Um, just the knowledge that takes time to win people over and that's not going to happen overnight. Um, I think one of the major things to learn early on is that we're here not for our own glory but the glory of Jesus. Um, you know, is it all right reading it? Hudson Taylor who's been through the 30 years of experience and you're looking back on his life and it all sounds a little bit more glamorous than it is. Um, but once you're in, you're in it, you see that these guys must have just had a real trust in Christ and just wanting it's not like they came into the ministry, hesitating and go to the ministry in China wanting a book written about him. He just did it because he loved the Lord and wanted to serve him. I think for me, early on I had to, le- I had to learn that um, I'm not here to have a book written about me. And that probably would have been a bit... But ironically, you're in a book, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. You, your man bag, and, and your downtown bag. Abbey I'm collection. Hummus. Yeah, I'm famous now. Oh, the hummus, I forgot about that. <laughs> What uh, is it? Just explain to us. What is it with middle class people and hummus? Because I've tasted it. I want to know. I want to confess this sin. I tasted hummus. You don't taste of oat. <laughs> it's a tasty little snack. What? You don't taste of anything. It's beautiful. What are you tasting? I mean, ketchup. That is a beautiful dip. <laughs> I go with carrots, <laughs> chips. No, I don't go. I don't go with any vegetable. <laughs> Bit of pear bread and hummus is great. Right, I'm distracted again. I'm distracted <laughs> by your question. Yeah, I just think early. just. I think I had to learn early on that I'm here for the glory of Christ, not for my own glory, not for it, here to have a book written about me, but just, again... Let me ask you the question another way, then. Did it, did it help you having a cultural insider with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or definitely. Or was that just a pain in your neck? No, no, definitely. Obviously, I'm a pain in your neck, but... Yeah. I think the helpful thing was having someone to soundboard things off. Yeah. Um, so you're learning something, and then you can talk through it with someone who understands what's going on and help you and, and guide you through the process. So that's that's really helpful. I think just having a team in general is helpful anyway on the ground. I used to stick you in uncomfortable scenarios, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Where I'd force you to confront people. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. You hated that, didn't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why do you think I did that, though? You see the point of why mm-hmm. I did that now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think... Uh, it's difference between leading isn't there um, and just being trained. Um, so I think those scenarios help me grow as a leader because by my very nature, I wouldn't have those conversations with people. I'd rather let everyone, everyone else do that. I'm happy being polite to people, but telling someone that they have to leave a job or having to confront someone about what's going on in their lives, that's not something that middle-class people do very often. Mm-hmm. Um, again. So do you think there's a way in which a guy like from my background, I know you've got limited experience, but the, a, a difference between how you've been trained here and how middle-class pastors and institutions train their guys normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've only been trained in one church. I can only go from my experience. No. 
You've been trained by me. Yeah, yeah. But I did do four years at New College. Exactly, right. At university. Um, and there's a big difference in there between sitting in a lecture room to being trained on the ground level. Yeah. And particularly dealing with people, isn't it? That's the big thing. How do you take what you're learning about the sovereignty of God and how does that affect someone who's just had a miscarriage? Or yeah. How does it, the redemption of Christ affect someone who's just, who's a drug addict? And I mean, the interesting for clean. me is that is like a lot of middle class learning and I came through a middle class system, so I know, and churches, is bookish. Mm-hmm. Not that these are bad things. Bookish, prepare Bible studies, prepare uh, sermons, you know, maybe go on the odd visit, maybe um, do a funeral, help out at a wedding and stuff. But um, I really threw you in the deep end of relationships, mm-hmm. much more than preaching early on, right? Mm-hmm. Just to get to understand mm-hmm. a mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think early on I had, yeah. So I remember a few early conversations. So one, I had a guy living with me from the scheme. I was going to get to him. Your first big heartbreak, right? No, no, this is before this. This is just the first guy I've had live with me. Um, I don't think he was a believer. I think he'd been around the church and been doing Bible studies and he just had some trouble at home. He needed someone to to stay and he came and stayed with me for about four months, I think it was. Um, And just seeing a guy from the scheme and having to deal with him in your house. It's very different to just dealing with them, dealing with a person so day to day. So that, was, that get, was a big learning curve. We get a lot of pushback on having people in our house and safety of our wives and children. You didn't have children then, but you do mm-hmm. now. But process that for us. Mm-hmm. You're a middle class guy, you need to do a housing estate, you just got married, um, it's tough, mm-hmm. and you, you've got a, a Raj living in your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Just early on in our marriage, me and Debbie just made a decision that we wanted to be hospitable, hospitable to people. And that didn't just mean having people around for dinner, but we wanted people to live with us. So we purposely, when we rented out our first house, had a spare room so that if there was any... But what rules did you... You must have had rules in place to ensure the safety of Debbie. Yeah. Uh, so it was easier early on because Debbie was working. She was out of the house 7 a.m. She didn't get back till 7 o'clock. Okay. And then I was in by that point. Um, so there wasn't any problems early on. I think later on, yeah, the rules that we probably set is probably not having, if it's a single guy, having him in the same in the house at the same time as Debbie if I'm not around. So you've got two mm-hmm. two kids now, right? Yeah. Isla and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Isla's three, right? And Isaac is one? One, yeah. Um, and would you have a drug addict that stay in your spare room now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, what do you say to people, and I've had this, do you not think that's a little bit irresponsible when you've got a responsibility to protect your family? Yeah, yeah. I think, again, it comes down to conviction. Part of it is just conviction that we want to use our home. It's not our home at the end of the day is one that the Lord has given us. I think people get surprised when you say that, but there's usually criteria in place in terms of who we take. Um, so we, we're trying... If it's someone new, we're trying to have a reference from someone before we take them. So if it's a church, sending them someone, then we're trying to find out how they... Yeah, like we've got, a, we've got a giant lad who's arrived this mm-hmm. week, right, from some friends in Wales. And, and, and um, we don't know him. Mm-hmm. It could be a nut pot. Um, but, you know, we, we, his pastor's a friend of mine. We trust him. And so mm-hmm. we've, took him, we've took him in. And we, have also, we do have all sorts of... Um, things that we 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 put in place, but it, it is a big factor in our ministry, isn't it? That we let people mm-hmm. live in our houses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The three big things I'm looking out for from taking someone else in is violence. Yeah, be violent towards me or my kids, my wife. Uh, if they've got any medication they're on, that's locked up. Cause we've got small kids around. Yeah, um, and then just in general to begin with, probably not later on, but to be in with, until Debbie feels comfortable with the person, then we'll have boundaries in terms of, I want to be around yeah. when he's in the, he or she's in the building. It's yeah. generally being young men that okay. we've had stay with us. So they're kind of the boundaries put in place, but once Debbie feels comfortable with the person, we get to know them, then those kind of, that kind of boundary in terms of, we want them to feel at home, do you know what? Yeah. And that's not a prison. Yeah, so um, as, as my girls have gotten older now, and they're like in their late teens, so all our, all our, uh, the rooms in our house now, including our guest rooms, all our rooms have inside yeah. 
inside locks, you know, they, they can't yeah. be open from the outside, little, little things like yeah. that. And the good thing about our house now is that all the, me and the kids are upstairs and we've got a room downstairs now for yes, uh, their own of, bathroom yeah. and stuff so they can as stay there. So it feels like, now that we've got the kids, it's... Had any horror shows? There some oh yeah, lots of horror shows. Uh, just going back to the other things, it's not, it's, it's not the safety that I fear at the moment with our guys, it's just... Um, the struggle just having an extra person in the house when you've got kids that don't sleep and all that kind of stuff that can be yeah. the tension that we just have to watch out for yeah. um, so you know a lot of middle class guys are is it safe to have someone in your house that's not a question we're asking the question we're asking is is it going to impact our kids who are sleeping in, in terms of guys right. coming in late or yeah. up early or we're going to impact them with our kids screaming all night because yeah. housing scheme houses are just paper thin walls and so you can hear everything in, all, all across the house so. but yeah lots of horror shows lots of um, I've had people come back drunk in the middle of the night. Uh, I've had people creep out in the middle of the night to go score weed or go and smoke weed or go and do different things in the night. We've had smelly get house guests. We've had. Uh, What's your least favourite? A drunk, a weed smoker, or someone who smells? <laughs> the smell probably is the worst. Yeah. Is that? Particularly when your wife's pregnant and she's nauseous. <laughs> and I remember, remember a couple of years ago, and our top floor of our house was like a dorm. Mm -hmm. We had about four. We had four guys. The guys in it that yeah, was a that. very pungent aroma. Yes. And when people, I don't really mind that. No, uh, I think that it's mind when they come back drunk and swing at you from the back door. Yeah, that's not, not or pleasant. Or not a special squad flying through your house on Boxing Day, <laughs> looking for a house guest. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's when they go out. And they don't come back, and then you're not really sleeping at night because you're wondering where they are, yeah, yeah. what's happening. It's like, I guess it's like any child to come and part, be part of your family, and so. So talk me through your first, your first heartbreak, and it is heartbreak this gig, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember this. I'm, I, I, you were disciple a guy again. There's no name. I saw the I, when I was, my style of teaching you is that I'm not massively that hands-on. I, I, I was watching this car crash from a distance mm -hmm. and I knew it was coming and I, I remember that thing at the time I've got two choices I can just intervene right now mm -hmm. or just let this happen and so I thought I'm gonna let this happen because it'll be a good learning experience mm -hmm. so talk us through it because you, you remember it mm -hmm. very well since you it really cut yeah. you didn't it yeah so we had a guy that we took in straight from prison came to live with us um he had two about two kind of time periods with us I think the first time was a, about six months came out again did he live with Another me for time. a bit? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Came to me in two spells, but it was the first spell. So he came in straight from prison, came to be part of the family. Uh, we invested heavily in him. You know, he was around, he was part of the family. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was around our house all the time as well. He was... um, you know, I think he was one of the first guys that we'd seen grow in Christ as well, mm -hmm. disciple from the schemes. Um, it was exciting. Um, and so part of it is you put your hopes and dreams into the person, um, thinking, yes, is it great for the prayer letters, a guy from jail, he's doing really well, he's come to Christ, he's walking with Jesus. He's in your house, right, yes. He's doing well, he's living with me. You know, part of it is like, oh, glory for yourself as well. Um, but you come attached to these, these guys as well. Um, but slowly but surely, he basically was going back home to um, go and see his son every other weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and or over a period of time, obviously, he was going to get up to naughty things while he was going back. So he was tending to be fine during the week, went to the weekend, going off. And um, other people could see that things were, that he was distant and that something was going wrong, that he was obviously in a sinful pattern, but I kind of was oblivious to it. Part of it was naivety, probably. I mean, part of it is didn't want to face up to it. Part of me didn't want to have a conversation, probably, with him and work out what was going on. But more and more, he's getting more distant. There was telltale signs he was coming back later and later from his weekend, coming back maybe a bit more sweaty, um, coming back maybe spending with alcohol. He was going, I remember he was going for longer cycle rides by himself and trying to hide the sin underneath. Um, but um, I was oblivious to a lot of it. And it wasn't until, I can't remember what the moment was, but until it all just basically well, he, all came out at one He bolted, one didn't time. he? He bolted with a lassie, remember? Mm -hmm. He just completely... That was the second time, but yeah, this was... 
Yeah. It was, he bolted anyway. Yeah, yeah. And you were, I remember you were hard. First time I was with a lassie. Second time I was with a lassie as well. Two, <laughs> two different lassies. But um, the same, they always go. It's for like a dog returns to its vomit, right? It's back to the drugs yeah. or the drink mm -hmm. or women mm -hmm. every time. Yeah. Anyway, um, so talk me through it because you were heartbroken. Mm -hmm. we, we, we were doing a lot of one to ones at this time, mm -hmm. you and me. Yeah, I think. Emotional heartbreak, spiritual heartbreak, physical heartbreak. I mean, I wasn't sleeping very well um, those first couple of days. Um, you know, you're wondering what mistakes you've made. Should I have done more? Could I have spent more time with him? Should I have gone up to him at the weekends? Should I have... Did we do too much for him? Yeah. Uh, at that point, I was, <laughs> have I done enough of him? Um, yeah. That'd probably be a question I would have asked later on. But I remember at the time thinking, and you said something to me, that that's it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get fooled by the next one. Mm -hmm. Remember the conversation we had off the back of that because mm -hmm. your instant reaction was to harden your heart, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I think once you've been broken, once you've gone through that experience, then you think the next person, what's the point? What's the point of going through it again? If you're going to invest all that time, have someone in your, your house, invest hours, days, weeks, months into a person, what's the point in doing that again? Um, and I could, looking back now, I could see that my heart was hardening towards gospel ministry and particularly the guys that um, we were discipling. And I remember the next guy came along. Um, I was very distant with him. Um, didn't really want to have anything to do with him. Didn't want to spend time with him. Um, happy and to do, we had a chat, didn't we? Happy to do the minimum, yeah. but not go the full hog as they want. And they want to, my heart to be broken again. And, and here's mm -hmm. the lesson for, for guys, whatever class they're doing ministry in our communities is, you're going to get your heart broken. Mm -hmm. Jesus did, mm -hmm. didn't he? I mean, you think of all the people that followed the Lord and stuck by him at the end, and hardly mm -hmm. anybody. And the Lord tells in the parable of the sower how much of the, you know, uh, the seed grows, or the seed, mm -hmm. uh, what grows lives, very little of it. And so, um, it, it, there's a difference. I'm a, I'm a cynic, and what I mean by that is I think there's very close line between being a cynic and having the gift of discernment. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe what these guys tell me, even if I'm deadpan and don't say anything, as you well know, but there's a difference between being cynical and being uh, aware and, and discerning and being hard-hearted. Mm -hmm. Hard-heartedness and bitterness towards constant, mm -hmm. repeated failure, that's a killer yeah. for guys in our ministry. And I've seen it do many pastors and evangelists and people working in, mm -hmm inner city estates because they just become jaded after mm -hmm. a while yeah. and you've got to work really hard to think right even though I've been done 50 times before mm -hmm. this 51st person I'm going to treat them mm -hmm. as an individual in front of me and hope that this time it sticks. Yeah. yeah I think it's a couple of things I think on that for you personally you need to make sure that you're constantly repeating the gospel to yourself that you're an undeserved sinner who's been shown grace because um, that, that helps keep your heart soft to other people. That anyone coming down through the doors is an undeserving sinner who needs grace. Um, and that kind of helps your heart stay soft towards people. And another thing is just don't get hard hard towards the power of the gospel as well. The Lord can change and transform anybody's life. And just because, you know, something's gone wrong in that person's life doesn't mean the next person is going to be a guy who really kicks on and walks with the Lord. Um, you've got to remember the results are not up to us, the results are up to God. Um, and it doesn't depend on you. And I think that was one of the mistakes I made early on. I thought everything depended on me and what I was doing for the guy. But I've learned that it doesn't depend on me at all. No, we become functional saviors, don't we? Yeah. Particularly if we do things, for, if we confuse discipleship with doing things for them that they can do for themselves. Exactly, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, I always say to guys, discipleship is about participation, mm -hmm. not just you giving everything. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, why... Um, a couple of questions. Why do you think the middle UK middle class evangelical church is so bad at reaching into and establishing disciples in, in our communities? Mm -hmm. I think a couple of reasons. I think it's just my experience. I think um, firstly, people want to keep guys and girls from housing schemes maybe at arm's length. Maybe people want to do an outreach in terms of giving food out or even doing like gospel track ministry or, or whatever it is, but actually getting involved with someone's life. 
um, and having to get uncomfortable. People from middle class backgrounds, including myself, because I battle with it, uh, find that difficult to give up comfortable time with family, with friends that are like you. Can be very difficult. I think the second thing is people don't realise the cultural differences that there are, because um, are there big cultural differences? Because I often get accused of overplaying yeah. it. Yeah, just because in the majority of places we're all white, uh, we all speak English. Um, people think, oh, must just be the same culturally across the board, but um, the the differences are subtle. <laughs> And you don't understand them until you're in the culture and you actually become friends with someone from a council state. And then you begin to see... What are some of the differences, some of the differences that you discovered? That are, uh, that are, that are there. A um, couple of things. Humour is a big thing. Um, when someone is taking the mick out of you, it's not to insult you or disrespect you. It's a sign of friendship. Um, deep, I, deep love, right, brother? Deep love, yeah. <laughs> Being on the ball with that as well, you'll be very quick thinking when you're in there. Council state culture. Oh yeah, you done me. You done me in a Bible study last week. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the quickest on my about feet, leg right? lengthening. I gave it you though, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, I let you have the moment. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. beautiful. I appreciate it. Uh, but humour. I think that's been a big thing for our American brothers and sisters coming over. They think when we take the mick out of them, that we're disrespecting them, particularly in public. So in private, Americans will do banter, but not in public. Yeah, I remember when we had a weekender and a group of American pastors sat there, and yeah, then they thought we'd pretty much everybody yeah. from. The schemes we were speaking were absolutely ripping me to pieces, mm -hmm. and they were like, "That was me. I was getting ripped." <laughs> they were no. They were like, no, they weren't. They weren't shot by you because you were getting it." Well, you did that silly talk. On, no, not a silly talk. You did that, that famous line on the sex talk, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we won't go into it now. But um, they were like, "How can you let people talk like that? Disrespectful." I'm like, "And and how are you torturing that poor guy?" And we're like, no, we're not torturing him. Yeah. But so humor's a big thing, I think. Second thing is probably um, storytelling culture is a big thing um, in the schemes of Scotland. So people relate to each other by telling stories rather than asking questions. And that will probably be a big shift from university days where you're used to sitting down having coffee with someone. I ask you what you're doing. They ask you what you're doing. Uh, it's kind of a question conversation, question answer conversation. Where, whereas when I'm in the football lads, it's story, story, story. Not many questions. I say a story, they tell a story. You relate things back and forth. That's how, that's how things are done. Um, the other thing is aggression. Um, probably when I'm used to again a polite culture, where people don't always say it as it is. So you don't always know what people are thinking. So they might hate you, but they'll tell you that behind your back. Whereas in Nidra, I found people are very forthright when they don't like you. Well, you've changed, right? Because I used to win. I used to be on top of all of the ranking lists for people that interns were scared of. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. It was me and it was Sharon. You weren't even on a list. <laughs> now, you're at the top of every list, aren't you? Yeah, that's because they don't like me being disappointed in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just sit there like that and go, very disappointed, and then they all get upset. I hate that more than being shouted yeah, at. Yeah, I just walk in and go, right, what's going on? <laughs> you just got to shut up. <laughs> but it's interesting because, um, you know, some of the football lads I remember early on, um, if I wasn't clear in what I was saying to them, they'd go away thinking I, that I didn't like them or something. Um, whereas the football lads are very clear, they're like, I either like you or you don't. And they would tell you straight to your face. And you, you know where you stand with people. Whereas if you're sneaky and you're trying to be polite and slander people behind people's back, people don't like that in housing schemes. Because loyalty is the number one thing. And so rather, let's have a straight up conversation about how I'm doing or, or what's going on in my life. Um, or how I feel about you is gets much more purchased than not being honest, if you know what I mean. So you do a good talk at one of our weekenders on diversity. And so you've been with me, you've been an intern with me, you've been a pastoral assistant with me, then you were the assistant pastor, which I mm -hmm. thought was hilarious, we just switched the words <laughs> around, was it the same job? Uh, and you became an elder, and then recently you've become co-pastor. So we know each other quite well, mm -hmm. and our families know each other quite well. So what's... Um, What are the cultural differences you've had to adapt, we've had to adapt to each other? Mm -hmm. Sort of, as we've grown the ministry. I don't think we're a 
I can't, I can't remember one time when I've got really annoyed with you mm-hmm. and then I had to apologise to the mm-hmm. whole team because I was very rude. <laughs> I don't know what it was now, but it was anyway, it was a few years ago. But You said flipping heck. Did I say flipping? <laughs> no, I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just saying we're so different, right, mm-hmm. in so many ways. How, what, and I know it's the gospel and Christ mm-hmm. has got us on, but... Um, yeah, what, what are some of the, the ways which we work that are different but complementary? Mm-hmm. Just in terms when you give this talk on diversity, right? Because you talk to, uh, in your diversity talk, you're talking to middle class guys. A lot of middle class guys, if they are going into council estates, and very few are, but if they are, they don't really have the advantage that you've had of having a. Mm. I, mean, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, sometimes, I'm talking about the aggression thing, sometimes um, you would talk more forthrightly to people than I would. Yeah. Um, and some circumstances, we need that. It needs a forthright conversation. It's not like you're being, I'm not being gentle, but you're just having a forthright conversation. Yeah. But sometimes when we're dealing with our middle class guys, you have to speak in a slightly different way and relate to them. But sometimes I need to be more forthright <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and be more gentle. Uh, so we let, um, be less gentle with people. Which is interesting because mm-hmm. we'll go back to this because I think speaking directly is a sign of respect. Yeah, exactly. That would be the big thing. Whereas middle class people think... That's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. Mm. Let's show respect by... Being polite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But not getting to the subject. Yeah. Matter of and hand. people would say, okay, you're speaking forthrightly, you're not being loving towards yeah. me. Yeah, which I find fascinating, right? There's a guy from a scheme would say, no, you're loving me well there by telling me yeah. how you're doing, you're telling me black and white, this is how things are going. Why, why do middle class people disparage working class culture for being black and white. I find this interesting. I, I, I had this at Bible college. Well, that, you just, I, I used to get frustrated with the nuance of some lectures. And I go, and I just get, listen, are people going to hell or what? Mm-hmm. That's all I want to know. Mm-hmm. And this, this is the way it gets. So I know, oh, yeah, you're so black and white. Yeah. And uh, why is that looked down upon in, in mm-hmm. church circles, do you think? I think it's because people um, get confused between what love is and what politeness is and what tolerance is. So the big idea, isn't it, in the government and across the board of middle class land is let's be tolerant towards people, let's be polite towards people, let's be let's have manners towards people. Um, and so people equate then you being black and white about things or being maybe in their ter- in their eyes slightly aggressive. They'll start they'll think that's unloving because you're not being polite to me. You're not showing me manners. And I think that's just just to do with probably the intellectual setting the agenda of yeah, what, what you, love I is. I mean, because when I think of someone, I think of someone who's lost. I think lost people are going to hell. I think that, right? Do you think mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And, uh, and so it may well be polite to yeah. sort of mm, be about the bush a little bit mm-hmm. with them, but I think it's not loving. Mm-hmm. I think the most loving thing to do is this. Actually, yeah, yeah you are going to mm-hmm. hell, but you know what? I don't take any, any pleasure in that. Mm-hmm. Here's the gospel of Jesus, but... Yeah. It seems that, I, particularly when students come here, they seem completely phased mm-hmm. out by how we do evangelism, yeah. which I don't consider to be aggressive, mm-hmm. but I can appreciate working mm-hmm. with you, because mm-hmm. you've taught me a lot, that if we took the same approach in a middle-class context, mm-hmm. we would just scare everybody away, wouldn't mm-hmm. we? Yeah. yeah. And so do you think it's, that's one of the main reasons why middle-class guys struggle to get on? Yeah, in because, our communities, they're just because yeah, they don't realize, missing each other. Yeah, probably. Uh, I think part of that is people coming from middle class culture and think, "I've come to save this community. I'm coming as the more dominant culture here, and so people need to adapt to to where I'm at, rather than the old missional approach, which was done by every missionary going to any mm-hmm. culture. Let's observe the culture." Let's see what's going on. Let's see where the differences are. Let's see where the similarities are. Let's see where the gospel uh, needs to be preached, particularly to people's hearts, and do that hard work. People just think, oh, again, we're all white, we all speak English. Therefore, I don't need to think about how I'm doing my, but you don't my gospel ministry. You, you don't need to change your personality. What I've appreciated about, mm-hmm. about you, Andy, is this. You are unashamedly who you are, and you don't care. And the boys love you mm-hmm. because That's because if I try to be gangster, it would be stupid. Exactly, but a lot of guys <laughs> do, though, don't they? Mm-hmm. They come in and try and think. Right then, I'll, I'll act tall. I remember a middle class lad who came. He worked here with us for some time. Who 
sat in a cafe once and called some woman a scumbag. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> the posh guy ever. He had the polymeters, you know. Like, we're all scumbags and you're mm -hmm. a scumbag. So mm -hmm. he was like, because he'd seen me a couple yeah. of weeks earlier calling a couple of other scumbags mm -hmm. and getting away with it. And he thought mm -hmm. he could get away with it. And that mm -hmm. one was absolutely yeah. raging. But yeah. whereas you, you're, you, you see, you're yourself. You don't pretend to be thing. Uh, uh, and the boys love you and, mm -hmm. and have respect for you. So mm -hmm. you can win and gain respect without having to... Yeah. Uh, I think the main thing is it takes time. This is what I say to guys. The difference between a culture inside and a culture outside is that a culture outsider will take, it will take time for them to build relationships. Yeah. And so I would say it, take, it took me five to seven years to yeah. have to call the lads on the football team or to call guys in the community, my pals, who I go and hang out with and talk to yeah. and who have respect and loyalty to me, because that's the big thing. Once they're loyal to you, and once you've gained their respect, then they're going to be with you through, through thick and thin. Yeah, but well, we've buried their kids, we've buried their parents, we've buried... It just takes time to get to that point, whereas yeah. a guy like yourself, who's from a council state, wins respect early because you know you don't have to adapt to anything because you're in your culture. Well, I have to adapt to this yeah. particular yeah. culture, but... Yeah, but in some ways... But I know the rules. And you know the rules and also they respect the background that you've come from because your experience is their experience whereas yeah. my experience is not their experience and so there's a there's a gap there that we have to work hard to to overcome especially the guys who are coming in to preach, to preach and share the gospel yeah okay what are we doing for time john that's not you tell you we wouldn't you wouldn't not just say yeah been away <laughs> yeah they're Couple of pieces of advice for any middle class guys out there thinking about ministry in our communities or churches thinking about ministry in our communities. Because, you know, we get a bad rep, or oh, I do anyway, because <laughs> we hate middle class people, which is pretty true. Well, I don't hate middle class people, just <laughs> students, right? But we grow, grow in love towards them. What, students? <laughs> Tolerance. <laughs> You know, you're probably middle class. That's good. Tolerant, <laughs> but tolerant like a bit like cholera. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's out there, but I wouldn't want to catch it or be in, in my house. But if you're a student, come and visit us. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I need more hummus lovers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you heard it for first. You need more hummus lovers. Um, I've just lost my way now thinking about hummus lovers. Um, advice to middle class. Yeah, guys, guys who are thinking about. Um, a ministry like this, or thinking about training or anything like that, or, yeah. or struggling along right now, thinking yeah. we want to do this, we want to do this, what you're saying sounds good, but mm -hmm. what do I do? Mm -hmm. What have you got for them? Yeah. I think if you're, if you're thinking about moving into a council state, um, the first thing I would say is don't just look at all the bad stuff that's happening in a council state. Don't just look at the figures and think, oh, drug addicts, alcohol addicts single parent households, abuse, crime. Because that's what, that's what the rep that schemes in council states get. But there's more to a scheme in a council state than just the crime rates. Mm -hmm. And there's still people in them at the end of the day and the Lord has blessed each community with common grace. And so there's gonna be stuff that's good and there's gonna be stuff that's sinful. And people bypass the good stuff and just think about the sinful stuff. Whereas in all these communities, um, there's good stuff in it. And so you need right. to Every community is broken, right? Exactly. And people need to remember that when they're coming in. Um, and so I would look at the, the I would look at the benefits of moving into a council state. I mean, it's great once you've got pals in the council state. Like I said, they're loyal to you. But middle class people, friends. mate, they bow to the idol of their children, don't they? Yeah. Um, Schooling. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, and comfort as well. The, the thought of downsizing. That's just the concept's not there in people's house in people's heads it's all about upsizing isn't it and going to a bigger house but the thought of selling a five-bedroom house to live in a three-bedroom one in a council estate oh my five bed i've got five. i know you you've upgraded <laughs> so that'd be the first thing look at the good stuff it's great working in a council i couldn't work anywhere else now that i've, I've been in this culture um second thing is um, get get cultural insiders around you um people ask me this all the time well how do i get that well there's um, it's, go and find them. <laughs> go and find them, whether that's by contacting 20 schemes or church-style places. Yeah, so yeah. We can send people to you. 
uh, one of the guys, one of the advice I give to people is go to Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge is a um, Christian rehab, and they have lots of guys that go through their process and need local churches to go and be placed in. We've got a partnership with the local Teen Challenge here in Scotland, and we take guys on for the final phase of their discipleship in a local church. Go and take a couple of guys on from Teen Challenge who are going to be cultural insiders who are be able to relate to people in the in the in the council state you need cultural insiders around you in whatever shape and form that is because they will find it easier to make contacts for you than than you can um so that'll be this that'll be the second thing that i would say the third thing is like i said live in the community you have to have three points don't you <laughs> uh live in the community as well four. we're not ending on three you've got to have a four <laughs> live in the community come be part of the community come respect the community um, don't just come here with a saviour mentality because your heart's going to get broken. Um, people are going to smell if you've come with a saviour complex. Because and they're going to smell. They're going to smell your nice, nice BO. Um, because they're, they're used to, a lot of the guys are used to having social workers talk down to them, used to the police talking down to them, used to people talking down to them. You come in here to serve uh, not to be served, and that's the that's the pattern of the gospel, isn't it? What's the fourth thing? Because <laughs> in your head, you haven't even thought of the fourth thing. In your head, <laughs> I'm from no, you've programmed, I'm got numbers. <laughs> you've programmed three, I know you. <laughs> you've been doing your thing on the Trinity all week like that. That's the, that's the, <laughs> fourth thing is you've got to adapt to the culture as well. Um, so think about ways that you can adapt to the culture. Um, you're going to change along the way. How, how have you adapted? Like, do you watch X Factor now instead of Strictly? <laughs> I never watched Strictly. I'll, I'll give that. Okay. Uh, yeah, lots of ways. Just chippy on a Friday. Yeah, fish and chips. I did that anyway. Um, I think the main ways are. Yeah, but here we actually eat chips out of paper, not in a jam jar. <laughs> eh? <laughs> People who eat chips in a jam jar. You're what's wrong with society. <laughs> um, like I said, like you said before, I'm not changing who you are in terms of I'm still middle class guy here in the scheme. I'm not tend to be all gangster, all that kind of stuff. Do you think we're overplaying class? Do you think it's not as bad out there yeah. as I'm portraying and others mm -hmm. like me, Ian Williams and worth of less guys? No. Nah. Like I said before, you only realise until you move into a scheme how different the cultures are. Uh, but it's, it's massive. From what people eat, to how people speak, to what political parties they follow, to whether they're nationalistic or not nationalistic, to um, the way you're brought up, the way you see the world, and the cultural values that you attain to. It's a completely different world view. So would you feed your kids turkey twizzlers i don't even know what that is <laughs> <laughs> and on that very middle class note we will end thank you andy you're welcome you don't know what a turkey twizzler is there's a lot of training left in you a little i think we made you co-pastor too soon by the way. <laughs> I don't know what a turkey twizzler is.